Fallout New Vegas was released on October 19th of 2010 to critical acclaim. Successor to Fallout 3, a game which released two years earlier, developed by Bethesda Game Studios, New Vegas was the result of a licensing deal between Bethesda and Obsidian Entertainment, wherein they gave temporary rights of the series to Obsidian and asked that they develop a spin-off title for release in 2010. Now this means that the majority of New Vegas was developed in about 18 months, a feat truly impressive and worthy of praise, and also very explicative of why the game was and still is so buggy. Now I will say we won't be able to avoid comparisons directly to Fallout 3 in this video because after all we are looking very closely at how New Vegas works and after all it uses many of the same assets and specifically the same engine. With this in mind, however, I'm going to try to focus more specifically on Fallout New Vegas' successes and less on the differences between the games. After all, this is a critique of Fallout New Vegas and not a critique of Fallout 3. Now, throughout this video, we're going to discuss many things, everything from the gameplay to narrative to the mods that can improve the overall experience of the game. But the overarching purpose behind it is to encourage you to go back and to enjoy this classic game if you haven't already, and also to look at what made it so good in the first place. Now, as usual, we're gonna break this video up into five basic parts. First of all, we're gonna discuss the gameplay and what makes the game fun to begin with. Then we're gonna discuss the narrative and how the narrative ties into the gameplay, whether or not they complement each other and so on. And then next, we're gonna discuss the overall technical aspect of the game, how it was when it first launched and how it is today. And then, of course, we're going to discuss overall fun factor and whether or not the game is worthy of being played nowadays. And finally, we're gonna wrap it all up with a conclusion. I've included timestamps in the description box below, so if you wanna skip ahead or if you wanna watch this video in pieces, you can do that. But with all of this said, let's just get into it. When I first played Fallout New Vegas, I hated it. I was over at my uncle's house and my older brother Joe queued the game up on my uncle's Xbox 360. We only had a PlayStation 2 at our house and so the opportunity to play on a 360 was always exciting. My brother had been watching all of these YouTube videos on the game and knew every part of the game inside and out. His enthusiasm was frankly infectious and so when I was handed the controller, I was needless to say intrigued. I went through the clunky character creator segment and was, to be completely honest, immensely intimidated by the stat allocation at the beginning of the game. My brother explained the sheer scope of the game to me and also showed the size of the map. It seemed like there were hundreds of locations, all of which were scattered throughout, and my brother stressed that every single location had something interesting to find and could tie back to previous experiences or quests. Now, prior to this, my only exposure to large open world games had been a brief stint in Skyrim, wherein I played the game for a couple dozen hours over a summer and then was promptly distracted by, well, puberty. But it wasn't just the size of the map, it was the scope of the game that was intimidating. And by scope, I mean everything that the game tried to do. The branching narrative, the multiple endings, the plethora of playstyles supported, and of course, the romancing options. All of this piled up into an overwhelming behemoth that I couldn't handle. 
I tried running to Novak but was incredibly annoyed by how slow the character moved and the fact that I couldn't just sprint there. I came across some bandits and I couldn't get vats to work in my favor and then I decided to travel to Nipton where I found a group of strangely dressed nerds who did not like it when I tried to fight them unprovoked. At this point, justifiably or not, I was done. I simply didn't see the fun to be had in the game. I, it seemed to me overly complicated, clunky, and lacking the arcadey elements of fun that I had previously found in games like Just Cause 2 and Stronghold Crusader. Now looking back, I can see that I was not ready for the experience that was being offered within New Vegas. Young, early teenager Luke was impulsive, impatient, and unwilling to play the game the way that it was designed to be played. Now just that statement will get me in trouble with some who think it is impossible to play a game the wrong way and that however you play a game is technically correct. But I would say that this is an entirely different topic and would take another video entirely to decipher it. And so I'll just say this. In some titles, in order to garner the experience that the developer has set out to create, you have to play it with a certain respect for the content, patience, and or style in order to fully enjoy it. That may be controversial to say, but to be honest, I don't really care. Moving on, several years later, I decided to give Fallout New Vegas another shot. I began playing through it very hesitatively, quest by quest, location by location, and character by character. I began falling in love with the game. As I explored the world that Obsidian had built, I realized one remarkable thing. Every element of the game was built to empower the player. Now I know this sounds insignificant, but I assure you it is not. Let me explain. When you play an open world game, there are a few things that make it work and feel truly free. Fundamentally, it breaks down into these categories. Traversal freedom, narrative freedom, questing freedom, and gameplay freedom. Now, what does all this mean? Well, traversal freedom, as you would expect, refers to the level of freedom granted in traveling through the game's world. In Breath of the Wild, for instance, you are restricted in the beginning of the game from exploring the whole map. This is because, by way of the first four shrines, you gain abilities and experience that will allow you to explore the rest of the world. After these shrines are conquered, you can leave and freely traverse the world as you see fit. Another example would be Mad Max. It gives you a large map to explore, but there are large portions of it that are blocked off by difficulty and narrative barriers. But once you break through those by means of the gameplay loop, you are given full freedom to explore. Now, narrative freedom, as you would expect, simply refers to the freedom to explore and partake in the narrative as you see fit. This is something that's very common in RPGs, where you have the freedom to engage certain characters or quests or discussions in ways that are unique to you. You. I should stress, however, that this does not mean that you have the freedom to do whatever the hell you want without any consequences. A downside, or potential upside, depending on how you look at it, of narrative freedom in its truest form is that the cost is you have to have respect for the world you are exploring. For example, I was playing Divinity Original Sin 2 recently with my girlfriend and my roommate, and we were all doing multiplayer co-op going through the opening section of the game. 
My roommate decided to steal a broom from a local shop and thinking nothing of it, he simply went about his business. However, soon after this, a guard found out that he had stolen it and began to engage not just him, but all of his teammates, meaning me and my girlfriend, in combat. The developers had given him the freedom to steal the broom if he wanted to, but made sure to inflict consequences as a result of those actions. This takes a regular open world game from being simply a sandbox in which you can play and do anything and turned it into a world with consequences and real people and motivations to drive your decisions. Now, questing freedom, as you would expect, refers to the freedom to engage in the quests or missions that the game has set up for you as you see fit. Now, for me, this definition does not simply mean that you have the freedom to engage in quests, accept them or decline them or do them in any order, but rather also refers to the ability to solve the quests in a creative and different way based on how you decide to approach them. In a game like Fallout 4, you of course have many quests that you can accept or decline, and you can perform them and complete them in any order that you want. However, in general, if you are simply doing fetching missions, or if you're going and clearing out and helping another settlement, it's not quite the same as if you were posed with a deep moral dilemma and you had to decide how to rectify that dilemma. And last but not least, gameplay freedom of course refers to the freedom to engage in the gameplay loop the way you want to, based on how how you decided to approach the game. If you wanted to play it unarmed, but still with brass knuckles or something, you can do that. If you wanted to go through the game simply with melee weapons, you can do that. If you wanted to be a sniper, you can do that. If you wanted to play it as a pacifist, you could do that. It's simply about the freedom to play the game the way you want to. Now, in order to achieve all of these things at once, a game has to be remarkably sturdy and able to withstand the vast pressures that can be impressed on it by various gameplay styles. And all of these are accomplished in Fallout New Vegas. Traversal freedom is fully granted to the player from the very start as long as you have the gear and ability to travel through the more dangerous areas safely. Narrative freedom is granted to the player in the form of branching dialogue, character, and interpersonal relationships, and of course, multiple endings. Questing freedom is given to the player in the form of dozens upon dozens of quests that can be completed in any order or not at all. Gameplay freedom is embedded in the gameplay loop in that you can approach the game in almost any way that you want. You can actually complete the game without killing a single person. I've actually done Jesus playthroughs of the game where I make a character with long hair and have him run around being nice to people and forgiving them while committing their transgressions to my eternal memory, all while being a complete and utter pacifist. On the other side, you can also go through and do a Jeffrey Dahmer playthrough, killing everyone and eating their bodies for health, and the game won't stop you. If you're caught, people will judge you, but there are no characters beyond reproach, unlike what you see, for instance, in Fallout 4. You can go through New Vegas without killing a single soul, or you can go through New Vegas killing every single person you see, no matter how important they are to the narrative on the whole. If you kill Caesar from Caesar's Legion, it simply alters the way that the world works. This requires, as you can imagine, a huge amount of forethought on the part of the developers, because they have to take into consideration how the game should and has to respond based on your actions. 
As you can imagine, this requires a huge amount of forethought on the part of the developers. They have to take into consideration practically every possible action you could take. If you decide to go through and kill all of the main characters, they have to adjust the questing system so that it works out and still makes sense and doesn't break the game. If you want to go through and not kill anybody, they have to find a way for you to solve each and every quest without killing somebody, but still be able to progress. The way I like to think about it is like we're building a bridge, and every car that goes across the bridge is a different play style. When you're designing the bridge, you have to take into consideration, of course, the cars that are going to be driving across it, but also all of the weather conditions, potential earthquakes, any other item that could inflict force and undo pressure on this bridge and potentially make it catastrophically fail. When you compare New Vegas to its successor, Fallout 4, you can see just how differently the developers approach the creation of these worlds. In Fallout 4, you can't kill a character unless the developer took that into consideration, which is not very frequently. You have to play the game the way they wanted you to, and you have to go through the characters that they set out. Overall, the game that Obsidian crafted here is frankly, pretty remarkable. They have built something that can respond intelligently based on what you do to it. Frankly, when you look at the game and the world that Obsidian Entertainment crafted in just 18 months, it's frankly remarkable. They took into consideration practically every playstyle you could imagine and made sure that if you played the game that way, it was supported, and not just supported, but even encouraged. As I was replaying Fallout New Vegas for this video, I was playing through with my character who was a female, and I previously had never played the game as a female character before, but I decided to go for it. Now once I reached Benny at the Lux in New Vegas, I decided to start talking with him, and I realized that I could try to seduce him since my charisma was so high. I started to seduce him and flirt with him, at which point he invited me up to his room, wherein I could decide to sleep with him if I saw fit. After a quick romp in the hay, you actually get a pop-up that asks you if you want to kill Benny in his sleep. Now this is something that I had never seen before after playing through this game maybe a dozen times before, simply because I decided to play the game a different way. I was able to inflict damage on the world in a new and unique way simply because I was doing things differently. And that is what's so interesting and engaging about New Vegas's world and gameplay, is it encourages that type of exploration. Of course it's engaging, of course it's fun, and it's all a result of building a world that has consequences for every action. Good or bad, there are consequences. When I first tried playing through New Vegas and I was frustrated that I couldn't just go around killing everybody or doing whatever the hell I wanted, it was because I didn't understand just how impressive and important something like that can be. If a game lets you go around and do whatever the hell you want in the world that they've given you, there are no consequences, there's no reason for you to take the world seriously, and it fails to become a world. It's simply a space in which you can manipulate and do whatever you want. That's more of a sandbox than a living, breathing world. Now I suppose we need to discuss the gameplay loop within New Vegas. Now, as you would expect, because this game was developed with the same engine without doing any tweaks on it, the gameplay loop is pretty much identical to that of Fallout 3. Nothing has changed here. You're still exploring, collecting, trading, bartering, killing, and basically repeating that process ad infinitum. 
Now, I don't really have any reason to criticize this because, after all, this game was primarily developed in about two years, and I wouldn't expect them to have tweaked it very much at all. However, it still is something that's interesting when you compare the games directly. The core gameplay loop is the same, but the experience overall is very, very different as a result of the world building and crafting that I just discussed. But with all that said on the gameplay, let's move ahead to the narrative. Now in Fallout New Vegas' narrative, there are two key parts that make it tick. First of all, the idea of greed. We are in Vegas after all, and there's no way to go to Vegas without discussing greed in general. And then secondly, of course, we have the discussion of man's unending desire for domination and power and his willingness to seize it through violent means. This is reflected in every Fallout game in the opening line, war, war never changes. It's a topic that can be applied any because it's innately human. However, when paired with New Vegas's greedy and corrupt atmosphere, it works really, really well. We're talking about a world in which civilized society has been destroyed by a nuclear war. There's no reason to be civil anymore, and nobody really tries to be. And when you do find somebody who's trying to be civil, it's a little bit of a shakeup, but you don't trust them. For instance, when we go to the Ultra Lux and we start talking with people who seem to be very put together even though they're wearing masks, you don't really trust them because you figure there must be something else, some other reason why they're behaving the way they're behaving. When you meet the kings in Freeside, you start talking with them and they seem fairly civilized on the whole, but once again, you expect that there's more to their plot, that they must be trying to do something else because surely they couldn't just be a bunch of people who dress up like Elvis and pretend to be cooler than they actually are. Now, as far as I can tell, almost every group has some element of corruption or greed taking place within them, except for, of course, Good Springs, which is the city or town, rather, that you start the game in. Fundamentally, they are the only group of people in this entire game who have have seemingly no ill intent and are just trying to get through life as best they can. Practically everywhere you go, you will encounter somebody who is trying to do something nasty to somebody else in order to get ahead. This was not an accident. This was very, very intentional on the part of the developers. If you watch the behind the scenes little documentary they made, you'll see that this is the case. Now there are three basic endings to New Vegas. You can either side with Mr. House, with Caesar's Legion, or the NCR. You can basically approach the game with this overall look, however there are many other smaller elements to the game that you can factor in as well. Now when the game first launched, there was actually no way of continuing the game after completing the main quest, which is honestly a little surprising because that was the same exact mistake that Bethesda made at the end of Fallout 3 that everyone freaked out about. And of course later on they patched it to make it so you could continue playing after completing the main quest. But for whatever reason, Obsidian did the same exact thing and later patched it out and fixed it. But to be honest, the ending of the main quest actually isn't very important. It's more of the journey getting to the end of the main quest that's truly interesting. In my most recent playthroughs, I actually haven't approached the game primarily looking at the main quests. Instead, I focus on trying to find and speak with everyone I can, traveling and discovering every location on the map. 
Don't get me wrong, the story and the overarching narrative in New Vegas, I think, is much better than that of Fallout 3, and I would even argue Fallout 4. However, where these games tend to really shine is in the smaller interactions, the smaller moments when you're just talking with somebody in their little town about the world that seemingly has gone to hell. Fundamentally, the story of conflict and then resolution of said conflict is nothing new. That's a story as old as time. But what's different in each story that tells of conflict and resolution is how the conflict was resolved, and that is also true of New Vegas. As with effectively every single open-world RPG game that's come out in the last 20 years, I would suggest if you're thinking of playing through New Vegas for the first time or going through it again, that you approach it not by trying to just rush through the main story, but instead by trying to explore the world as best you can and as deeply as you can. The main quest of Fallout New Vegas was intently designed to avoid instilling a sense of urgency to the player wherein they would feel as though they had to rush through the main quest trying to find and do everything they possibly could to complete it while completely overlooking everything else the game had to offer. This is a mistake that, as you can imagine, has been made by many developers in recent history. Now don't get me wrong, a sense of urgency can often be used by the developer to their advantage to instill this urgency in the player to go and explore and do things that they would typically not have done if they were left to their own devices. However, in an open world RPG, this has to be done very, very selectively because in open worlds, often the open world is what makes the game special and unique. If you rush the player too much, they're simply not going to explore it or enjoy it. Now, New Vegas never got me really emotional or to the point where I felt like I was having my heartstrings pulled. However, it does motivate you to continue playing and it does present a truly interesting world for you to explore. And really, in an open world video game, that's all you can ask for. Would it have been better if there were some more emotional quests or some other moments where the developer actually posed deeper moral questions to you that really made you stop and think or maybe walk away and just not have to deal with it at all? Yeah, of course, more of that is always better. However, in New Vegas, the game is still phenomenal and still does what it needs to to instill the sense of urgency and excitement in the player. However, on the whole, New Vegas' story does exactly what it needs to. It instills excitement in the player, and most importantly, interest and intrigue to the point where you want to continue exploring no matter the cost. And that is really all you need. Now as for the technical side of Fallout New Vegas, at launch the game was buggy as hell. Even still, it's incredibly buggy. I downloaded the game from Steam primarily after playing through it for the first time, of course, on the Xbox 360, and to get it to launch for the first time, I had to go online and download a patch from a third party. Now that tells you roughly what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with a game that is still beloved by many, but fundamentally still is very, very buggy on modern hardware. Now this brings us, of course, to the discussion of mods. If a mod improves the overall experience of the game, even past what the developer initially intended, is it still good? Is it still the same game that we're talking about when we're discussing Fallout New Vegas, or is it some sort of mixture of what some third party created added on to what this first party created? It's an interesting concept and discussion, certainly, but on the whole, in my opinion and estimation, it makes sense to recommend 
into mod if it improves the overall experience. For instance, as I'm sure you've seen in some of the footage of New Vegas thus far, I downloaded a mod that takes Fallout 4's looting system and puts it into New Vegas, which greatly increases the speed of which you can loot different areas and get through a certain section of the game. Overall, it improves the experience, so I decided to download it and play through the game with it. This of course was not something that the developer initially intended or ended up putting in the game because it only debuted in Fallout 4 years later. However, it does improve the overall experience and if that's the case, I think we should still be able to use them. The only argument against this would of course be that most console players wouldn't have the ability to use these mods and so it's not really fair to say that a game is fantastic with this particular mod but terrible without if the mod was not supported on a console. However, in the modern day, if you're going to be playing through New Vegas, chances are you're going to be playing it on PC or some sort of bootlegged version on a Mac, and so I feel it's fair to say that the mods like this one are important to complete and enhance the experience on the whole. Would it be awesome if the game worked fantastically without having to download any mods? Of course it would be. However, dealing with a game that is at this point approaching eight years old, there are some steps that need to be taken in order to enjoy it in the way that is optimal for a modern audience. You can be a purist and say that the only way that you should enjoy Fallout New Vegas is in the way that the developer initially intended, but in my estimation and opinion, I see nothing wrong with adding in a mod for a looting system or enhancing the graphics a little in order to sit a little easier with a 2018 player. If you disagree, I'd love to hear your thoughts in the comment section below. I will read through them, but that's just my two cents on it. Now this of course brings us to fun factor on the whole. Is the game still fun in the modern day after we've played all of these new open world RPGs that have taken lessons learned from New Vegas and applied them to their own titles? And I would say, yes, it most certainly is. Especially with the Miracle of Mods, you can add a fresh coat of paint to this old classic and make it far more engaging than it would be otherwise. Like it or not, we in 2018 are accustomed to better graphics, smoother gameplay, and quicker looting systems, and overall a more streamlined experience than what we would typically get in a title from this era. Now, are mods necessary to enjoy New Vegas? I would say absolutely not. Of course, the core game is still the same. However, if mods are needed in order to play it at all, then of course I would say yes. So technically speaking, for me and my computer rig, I needed a mod in order to play it at all. And so in that way, I suppose you could say mods are necessary to enjoy the game in its current state, but that is only assuming that your PC is the exact same as mine. But regardless, whatever you need to do to enjoy the game, the core game is what makes it fun. It's not the mod that tweaks the inventory system or the way that the game boots up that makes it fun. It's what the developers did in 2010 that makes it fantastic. Certain elements of the game have certainly not aged super well, such as the gunplay, but to be honest, the gunplay wasn't really that great to begin with. That was one of the main criticisms back in 2010 and 2008 for Fallout 3. In 2010, when New Vegas launched, it was actually a major topic of discussion. The fact that they now had iron sights and previously in Fallout 3, you didn't. That was considered a major upgrade. 
Vats, of course, is still here and still rocking. I personally don't really like Vats. I think that it just doesn't make sense in a first-person or third-person shooter. But regardless, some people still really enjoy it and love it to death. And if you're one of those people, good on you. Keep playing with it. I simply choose to avoid it if I can. Overall, I would say the game certainly is still fun and I'm still learning new things that you can do in the title that I previously had no clue were in here. And that's something truly remarkable. If you can play a game approaching eight years from its release and still be learning and finding new things in it, the developer either did something very, very right or very, very wrong. And in this case, I would side with the former. Now all of this leads us to our overall conclusion, and in these types of videos it's always a little difficult to figure out what to say. Fallout New Vegas is one of my favorite games of all time. The fact that the developer, Obsidian Entertainment, was able to do this in under two years is so amazing I, I frankly can't even quantify it. The game is far more buggy than I would have liked to have seen, and even still, extra steps are needed to be taken in order to fully enjoy the game the way that the developer intended you to enjoy it. But to be honest, the one major takeaway I have from making this video, playing through the game again for this video, is that I pray and hope to dear little six pound, five ounce baby Jesus that somehow Obsidian is given the rights to make another Fallout game because my goodness, that would be amazing. Now it's very unlikely and Bethesda after the release of New Vegas got really weird about Obsidian and didn't like talking about New Vegas. It's almost like when there's two brothers, an older and a younger one, and the older brother decides to let his younger brother try the video game he's playing just for fun and his younger brother ends up being way better at it than he is and then he gets super sulky and doesn't want to play with his little brother anymore. That's kind of what's going on with New Vegas and specifically Obsidian and Bethesda. Bethesda just doesn't like talking about New Vegas for whatever reason. It's like they just are a little butthurt how good it turned out. It's weird. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just go watch some interviews with Todd Howard and Pete Hines when they're asked about New Vegas. It's bizarre. But who knows, maybe they're just being a little more coy because they are working on something like this and they don't want to let the beans spill. You never know. But overall, the lesson to be taken away from New Vegas is that this is a classic game that if you haven't experienced and if you're a fan of open world RPGs, you absolutely owe it to yourself to go back through this game and give it a shot. And to be honest, the fact that you can usually get this game from anywhere from $5 to $10 and that doesn't even take into consideration the fact that sales come around, that makes it an absolute steal. You owe it to yourself to experience this game. I don't care who you are or what games you've played before, it's phenomenal. But that's about all I have. Thank you so much for watching each and every single one of you. I honestly do appreciate it. If you have any thoughts, go ahead and leave those down in the comment section below. I do read them all, believe it or not. And as always, if you have a suggestion for the next critique that you would like to see, leave those down below as well. I would love to hear them. But with all that said, thank you for watching. I love you all, and I'll see you in the next video. Peace out.